as I was mentioning, it's been a big week in Alberta. They announced a, a pretty massive budget surplus today. Uh, they're riding another wave of financial prosperity due to high global oil and gas prices, along with higher royalty payments from maturing oil sands projects. Apparently, Alberta's finance minister says the government will use this year's forecast multi-billion dollar budget surplus to pay down debt and put some cash in the piggy bank, so to speak. Jason Nixon says the surplus has grown exponentially. We are now projecting a surplus of $13.2 billion, an improvement of $12.6 billion. This is still a projection, and I repeat, Alberta's government remains focused on reducing debt and saving for the future. Alberta's government is staying the course on sound fiscal management to strengthen the province's finances. Jason Nixon there. He didn't sound as happy as you might expect for someone announcing a $13.6 billion. Um, well, it's not not definite, but as he qualified it, but still, that's a lot of money. So what to do with all of that? Would Alberta follow Saskatchewan's lead, for instance? Scott Moe was handing out $500 to, uh, to residents as a payback for their good fortune. Um, joining me now is Dave Breckenridge. He's a Breckenridge, rather. He's managing editor of the Edmonton Journal and the Edmonton Sun, the host of the 10-3 podcast. Thanks so much for your time. Welcome back. Not a problem, Ben. Happy to be here. That is a big surplus, Dave. That is a big, big, big surplus. What are they going to do with it? Well, I mean, <laughs> where to begin, right? I mean, first of all, like this is as as uh, Jason Nixon, Alberta's finance minister, articulated in the clip that you just played. You know, we are focused on paying down debt. This is, you know, it's it's not unexpected considering what the price of a barrel of oil is these days. But it wasn't what they forecast in the budget. And I think that they've learned from the folly of past Alberta governments that when you have a surplus, especially the position Alberta's in, we do have quite a significant debt right now. We have tens of billions of dollars in debt. So the idea that we could hand out checks to everybody like Saskatchewan is doing or like uh, former Alberta Premier Ralph Klein did, I, while that may be novel and everyone would like a few hundred dollars in their pocket, I think they realize that they're in a position right now where they kind of have to stay the course. You know, they committed to paying down Alberta's debt when they were elected. They committed to getting Alberta back on the right path, financially speaking. And so to, while it, I'm sure it's tempting to do all sorts of fun things for Albertans or for the government, they're, they're probably taking the prudent course here and saying, we're going to, we're going to focus on paying down the debt and we're going to look at putting away, putting some money back into the Alberta Heritage Savings Trust Fund, which is our, you know, so, supposedly our great oil wealth rainy day account but it hasn't really grown in terms of real dollars in in quite some time yeah no ralph bucks i mean the alberta heritage savings trust fund it often comes up in conversation because of course if you look at norway their trust fund mm -hmm. is massive right and, and the question always becomes well what of alberta's so they are going to put some money into that then yeah i'm not i i can't re recall the 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 price I but i i mean this three is billion i think it was three billion yeah three billion thank you i was just i was pulling that up um Obviously, we're still talking about the forecast for the surplus for the year. If the price of oil stays high, it could be even the surplus could be higher than $13 billion, which would mean more money to pay down on debt and perhaps more than $3 billion going into the savings fund. And, you know, the, the Norway example is always one that it gets dragged out. Uh, but, you know, it being a country and the country being in control of all the oil resources as opposed and uh, it's it's not a, a great direct comparison. But, I mean, on the flip side, you look at Al Alberta might not be handing out checks, but there have been some things that the, the government has done recently because we've been in a good position because of the price of oil being so high. The government was able to remove the gasoline tax from 
the price of the pump, uh, which was 13 cents a liter before. So now we're not paying that. And the government's essentially footing the bill by not bringing in that revenue. And then the government's offering us uh, rebates on our power bills this summer. And then uh, there's uh, a potential rebate to come into effect in the fall, in the winter, if the price of natural gas to heat our homes gets too high. So the government isn't exactly doing nothing to sweeten the pot for Albertans, but they're not they're not following Scott Moe's example in Saskatchewan to, to hand out checks to everybody, which, you know, based on how badly the, the Klein government was criticized from a lot of corners for just kind of handing out free money to people, I, I feel that this may be the, the better course to take for the government. Yeah, it's not a bad idea if you're trying to tame inflation, not to give people a bunch. And the problem isn't isn't uh, is demand, not supply, uh, or supply, mm-hmm. not demand. Rather, maybe that giving a b- bunch of people money to spend mightn't be mightn't be a great idea. Um, which segues all very nicely into the UCP leadership race because it was the second and final debate last night. Obviously, whomever wins that race is going to have a, l- a lot more wiggle room financially than they may have expected even six months ago. Um, there was a lot of debate last night. I guess once again, uh, the presumed frontrunner, Danielle Smith, was targeted for her uh, support of something called the Alberta Sovereignty Act. Here's a, here's a taste of that. We would stop expecting Ottawa to come in and build economic corridors for us. We would build them ourselves. We can't wave a magic wand and get rid of federal law. That is simply a fallacy. Daniel Smith and uh, Travis Taze, the former finance minister there. Uh, how is this shaping up? I mean, I think some of us over the summer, we always take our eyes off these things a little bit. Uh, but we're heading into the voting at the end of this week. We're going to know who the winner is uh, in a month and a bit. Um, how is it shaping up? Well, I mean, as you said, Daniel Smith, you, the clip you just played featured the two likely front runners, Daniel Smith, who, who appears to be the the number one front runner, if you will, and the, and then Travis Taves, the former finance minister, who according to polling is in second place. Um, you know, we're at the point where they can't sell any more memberships, they can't get any more people on their on their team, so to speak, and it all comes down to what kind of ground game they have, what kind of get out the vote campaign they have, what kind of you know door knocking or member calls or any of those things that that they're going to do to try and convince members to not only cast a ballot but to cast a ballot for them in first place or because they use a preferential ballot if you know if i'm not your first place choice maybe you'd vote me second because i presume that it's going to go to a second a second counting of of all the ballots i i i would be surprised if daniel smith or travis taves took 50 percent plus one on the first go round. Um, so we'll see how things go. But I, I mean, the interesting thing about this race, and as you mentioned, we're, we're in the summer and people aren't paying attention. Daniel Smith came right out of the gate in the campaign and was talking about this Alberta Sovereignty Act, which essentially would, if passed, would grant Alberta the right to say that they're not going to uphold certain federal laws that aren't seen as being in Alberta, Alberta's interest. And so if the feds brought in legislation around oil or oil projects the province could say no we're not going to listen to you many people have said that's unconstitutional um people have had choicer words for it i think even current premier jason kenny has called the suggestion nutty i'm just surprised that that's been really the focus of the whole race so far it's daniel smith got so much attention on that everyone seems to have come out in the race to attack that position and even Tuesday night's debate was the same thing. It was just a lot more of the same of, of 
these other candidates who are trying to get some recognition, especially some of the, you know, the candidates further back in the race, Rajan Sani, Leela here, um, Rebecca Schultz to, to turn around and say, you know, this is a bad idea. This isn't what we need. There are other ways in which we can address Alberta's place in Confederation. Because the one thing that Danielle Smith has managed to do with this, and of course, I grew up in Quebec and I lived in Edmonton as a kid. So, uh, you know, I'm fully aware of the kind of some of the more uh, dynamic ideas around what we should tell Ottawa to do, uh, you know, when, when they come calling or when they try to impose things upon people. But is that it, it allowed her to differentiate herself, which, of course, in a leadership race is is all you want to do, right, is stand out from the pack a little bit, especially a big pack like that one. Mm-hmm. And it, I, I mean, in a lot of cases, you have a handful of, of former cabinet ministers who are, are now to varying degrees trying to distance themselves from their own government to, to set themselves apart and say, you know, I'm going to do things differently. I'm going to be a, an agent of change. And really the only person in the race who is, considered a credible contender to win the race who can honestly say that they're actually a candidate for change is Danielle Smith. And so she's done, I think, quite a good job of of setting herself apart, even if her policies have been (laughs) widely criticized, you know, by people across the spectrum. You know, there are people on the left who are worried about um, what she would do with the size of government. And 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 there are people on the right and, and people on the left who are federalists who, who say this is this whole sovereignty stuff is just going way too far. It's like the Alberta firewall letter times five. Oh, and again, having grown up in Quebec, once you start it, 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 it doesn't end. You know, you'll, be, yeah. you'll be shocked at how many ideas people can come up with for, uh, for thumbing their nose at the, uh, at the federal government. I highly, and the one thing I can tell you, you really don't want to fill out two revenue reform, right? due to your taxes <laughs> twice, like you, have to in, like you have to in Quebec. I don't care what they say. It's, it's no fun at all. Uh, Christian Freeland was, out, was in Alberta today. It's the first time she's been out in public since that incident in Grand Prairie last week. She was in Calgary. Uh, she had something to say about that incident. Yes, There was an unpleasant incident, and I think it's important for all of us to be really clear that that was wrong. But one unpleasant incident does not in any way overshadow the warmth of the welcome that I have received and am receiving right now. Deputy Prime Minister Christia Freeland was in Calgary today. She was uh, touring a bus plant, a trucking facility, rather, I believe, when she shared her first thoughts, at least in public, um, in Alberta, about what happened in Grand Prairie last week when she was uh, accosted in some ways, or at least verbally assaulted by, uh, by a gentleman or a man at uh, Grand Prairie City Hall with uh, some choice words, uh, an incident that, of course, has raised a lot of, uh, a lot of condemnation and a lot of reaction. Uh, over the past week or, or since it happened. Um, Dave, how's the coverage been in Alberta? Has it been like it's been everywhere else? And, and how have people been reacting to it? Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of shock. It's it's one of those incidents where the, to see the video of it, because everyone's got a cell phone now, and, and it appears that the people who were accosting uh, Prime Minister were recording it for their own benefit to put out to their own social media channels, and say, look at her, we got her. Um, there is a dismay, but I guess a lack of surprise that this this kind of happened. I know that Calgary's mayor, Joji Gondek, came out and and talked about her own experience with threats in the wake of it. And there, there has been a, a great deal of discussion around, you know, what kind of danger are politicians in, especially 
ministers of the crown when they're out in, in public without security. Um, and there's been a lot of discussion as to, you know, how much does this represent Alberta? I know that the Christian Freeland has said that, you know, it's not the Alberta I know and love. It's certainly, I'd like to believe it's not the Alberta that I know and love either. I, you know, I grew up here and, and that's not the kind of thing that I was taught growing up. And that's not how you address people with whom you have disagreements, but I don't know. It's just, it's troubling. And it, it speaks to of, of anger that's going around. I know there's been a lot of discussion about the treatment of female and, and BIPOC journalists um, by a certain segment of the population and the the vitriol directed at politicians over the last two years of the pandemic. It just, it's kind of depressing, just the, the, the way that the discourse has changed and, and the way that, you know, that we've had to kind of adapt to this being a regular thing. Yeah. I mean, I think, I think what always strikes me so much about the language that's used, and, and it's because you have to think about what the opposite is. Clearly, most people don't agree with everything the federal government does. In fact, most of us didn't vote for this federal government. Uh, they're there mm-hmm. with, you know, with, without a huge majority of the vote. But to use terms like traitor, like I'm defending the country, it always surprises me because who appointed you? Who appointed you mm-hmm. to do that? Like, you know, you don't get to do that. We're all in this together. We live in a democracy. We vote. Um, you know, if you don't like a government, you vote them out uh, or you express your opinions. But to do things like that, um, you know, and it raised the question of security. And I found that really unfortunate because one of the beauties I always thought of Canadian politicians, perhaps, maybe not anymore as much, is that you could bump into your MP at the grocery store by themselves or with their families. And that was OK. And you sort of felt like, well, that's who we are. You know, we can we can have mm. that luxury. Uh, and I, I worry and I interviewed Jody Gondek yesterday and she talked about this as well. You know, what happens if, if people succeed in intimidating people out of these jobs? And that's I mean, it's a horrible thing to think about that, that people may not want to get involved in public service. And despite the criticism of, you know, it's it's one thing to have a philosophical notion of what the size of government should be and and how it should operate and what services it should provide. But at the end of the day, the like we we exist in in a society and we've decided as a society to have a government to oversee the operation of our cities our provinces and our nations and we want it to be seen as as a higher calling to some degree and maybe that's being idealistic of me um but this idea that we want people of of all political stripes and opinions to get involved in the democratic process and to think that these people may succeed in in driving people out and i want to remind people we're not that far removed from a guy who was armed, who used a truck to crash through the gate of the prime minister's residence to try and get at it. And, and to look at, again, I, I get that the, the Trudeau government isn't all that popular overall and, and certainly not in Alberta, but this idea that there's a sentiment amongst a small segment of the population that wants to get them in some way, shape or form. And, you have to look at what happened to Christia Freeland in that lens. Sure, people are angry at her, and, and we expect that people are going to voice their frustration with the government. We want people to, to speak truth to power. But what the gentleman in Grand Prairie, and, and <laughs> maybe gentleman isn't a good a good Yeah, word, I had to hold myself. But he, but he yeah. wasn't speaking truth to power. He wasn't, you know, he didn't yeah, even he was come with any her. sort of grievance yeah, about, was, you know, he, he was, COVID restrictions or jobs yeah. or anything. He just came to call her names. And to show be physically off. imposing and threatening. 
Yeah, he came to call. He came to bully her and, and show off on online on, on social media. I mean, you know, whatever. The less we talk about him, the happier I am. Uh, but what <laughs> happened, of course, is something that we need to talk about. Has it has it impacted your newsroom, Dave? Yeah, I mean, in terms of the the just in general, the whole you know the whole the abuse of, of people online yeah. and so on has it impacted your your, your room well i mean you check any any comment section on on a news site over the last few years and, and reading those and i was a digital editor at one point and having to read some of the things that people say and feel comfortable saying online is demoralizing but just recently as part of this wave of, of threats and and just abusive emails that have been sent to journalists one of one of our reporters has also been the target of these emails and i just you know, I feel for her and I feel for all the other other journalists across the country who have been subjected to this because we're just trying to do our job. We don't have like an underhanded agenda to give the prime minister a free ride or to we just we are trying to document news in Canada as it comes and and present as unbiased a, a portrait of Canadian life and events as we possibly can. We're, <laughs> so I, you know, I personally, I haven't been targeted like that. I've had nasty things said to me and I've had horrible voicemails left on, on my phone, but it, it, it's just disgusting to see some of the languages out there in the discourse right now. On, to end on a positive note, I have about 45 seconds left. Any particular quote or, or, or saying that, uh, that appeals to you, <laughs> Dave, I'll put you on the spot. Well, it's funny as we're, I'm, I'm going to be as brief as I can. I was trying to think as I was heard your, your preamble to before I came on the air. And the only thing that stuck out of my head was a line from a song from 1994. It says, I need to be myself. I can't be no one else. Give me gin and tonic. I know I'm feeling supersonic. Give me gin and tonic. You can have it all, but how much do you want it? Lovely. Supergrass? Is that? No, who is that? No, it's Oasis, no? Oasis. Supersonic. Oasis. <laughs> Dave Breckenridge, thank you so much for your time as always. Always a pleasure, Ben. Thanks.